Now. This is Always Be Watching. This is the weekly podcast where myself, Dan Barrett, is joined by Chris Yates as the two of us discuss and inform each other about what we've been watching in the last seven days. Chris Yates, how the hell are you doing? I'm good, Dan. How are you? Look, I'm doing remarkably well. We're going to be You look this- well. Eh, I've, I've had a pretty crappy day. But- <laughs> and look, you know why. <laughs> Let's not get into it. The no, no, no. People don't need to know about your medical problems. <laughs> well... Yeah. Speaking of medical problems. Yes. Okay, let's talk about what the show's about. Okay. Okay, we try to keep this very conversational. So the way that we quite often explain it to people, mm-hmm. uh, let's say that you're in hospital. Mm-hmm. This is my segue with the medical issues. I got it. You're in hospital, you're going in for an operation. Okay, they've given you like the, the drugs. Yeah. Okay, like you feel like you're, you know, fading a little bit. Yeah. Okay, they've wheeled you in. You're wearing your little gown. You've yeah. got your yep. bottom being exposed underneath, but you're lying down, so it's not a big problem. Uh, lying on your back. Lying on your back. Yep. Yep. Uh, you've got on the special underpants that they give you. Yep. It's not like a Mormon thing. It's like hospital underpants. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, you're there and you know that you're about to knock out like shortly because they've given you the drugs. Yeah. And they're trying to make conversation and they're like, hey, what have you been watching on TV? And then you have a conversation about the shows you've been watching. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, that very relatable situation. <laughs> Is that what happened to you this morning? Is that why you were late today? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, yeah, no, that's exactly right. Uh, one of the things I've always enjoyed about our um, company... And our, our time we spend together, your company and the time we spend together, is mm. that uh, I get to hear about heaps of TV shows that I'll never watch. Exactly. So and likewise. <laughs> it's like a music documentary. What is this music you speak of? Oh, boy. Um, I'm going to start, Dan, by saying, Dan, what have you been watching? Well, Chris, I'm going to start by telling you what I've been watching. Excellent. So this week I've been watching a new TV show called Modern Love. This is love at its absolute best. And it's beautiful sometimes. I can't bring a baby into the world with a man that I don't love. Don't do it because you're scared. You must own your actions in life. Oh! You alright? She hit me in my penis. I didn't mean to hit him in the penis. I meant to hit him in the balls. That's great. Chris, based on the name Modern Love, how likely do you think you are going to be watching this? Uh, Very unlikely, unless it's a documentary about David Bowie's classic song Modern Love. Sadly not. No. And I'm out. It's got nothing to do with the modern lovers either. Oh, yeah, exactly. No, yeah. definitely out. Sorry, dude. Okay. Well, what if I told you this is an anthology series, okay. which means every episode it's a different story going through, and you've got a cast which involves people like this, and I'm just going to go in order of IMDb as I scroll through. Mm-hmm. Um, Jane Alexander, you're probably not going to know her by name, I would imagine. You'd probably see her and go, oh, I kind of know that lady. Oh, she's an older lady. Uh, Tina Fey. You well, know I've Tina heard Faye. of Tina Fey. She's my favorite. Uh, there's Julia Garner. You may know, know her Julia as, Garner, yes. yes, from the show Ozark. No, not from that show. No, different Julia, are you thinking of, maybe? <laughs> maybe, yeah. Anne Hathaway? You've heard of Anne Hathaway. Oh, yes, Anne Hathaway. Uh, Absolutely. Ka- Catherine Keener? Yes. Yeah? Uh, of course. Uh, Kristen Melotti? You'd know her as the Not Quite a Mother from How I Met Your Mother? I'm trying to... Uh, oh, yes, I, I, do know, I do know her. Yeah. Uh, John Gallagher Jr.? from the most popular TV show on television, The Newsroom. Oh, yes. Aaron Sorkin's The Newsroom. Yes, I love The Newsroom. I'm not even being sarcastic there, Dan. Do you really? Yeah, yeah, it was great. Okay. I really liked it as well. We might be the only ones. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Dev Patel. Oh, yes. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, John Slattery. This is a great cast. I take it back. I'm I'm 100% on board. Yeah. John Slattery. Got to click on him. I can't remember his... I can't remember who he is. From Mad Men. Roger Sterling. Oh, Roger Sterling. Oh, gosh. What a... Yes, he's amazing. Uh, you may remember just minutes before we started the podcast, you were taking a few puffs on a cigarette, and I was talking about Judd Hirsch. Busted. Yes, Judd Hirsch. Judd Hirsch is in this. Get out. Yeah. I thought he was dead. 
Um, Ed Sheeran. Mm. He's only in it briefly, don't good. worry. He's had enough bloody uh, goodwill from the people. The hot priest from Fleabag. Oh, uh, yep. Yeah. Anyway, like that's just a smattering of some of the people in the show. It's a good smattering you've given me right there. And Eight I, episodes, you've turned me around. The entire premise of it, and I'll talk about the creatives behind it in just a moment, but the entire premise is based on a New York Times column that exists called Modern Love, mm-hmm. where an essayist will talk about some you know moment in their life to do with like their great loves in the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, and this can be any sort of love, but primarily we're talking about a romantic love. Okay, but it could be you know the love not for your the child, love. <laughs> the the love for Nando's. Yes, I was going to say not your love for Nando's. Yeah, the love I have for um, my Nintendo. Exactly, that would count. Yeah, that sort of unholy love that one cannot speak of out loud. Yeah, yeah, mm. it's platonic. I swear. Yeah, sure. So you've got uh, eight episodes. Each one of them has a story with a star-packed, you know ensemble mm-hmm. and it's about love in some form now when you start looking at the show it is a very clean beautiful looking new york city this is the sort of new york city of every romance film that you've seen you know since like woody allen in the 70s onwards it's that very overly stylized romantic new york city now mm-hmm. i love new york city i um, i completely buy into the romance of new york city the opportunity for romance to exist in that city when you're watching the show, you're going to fall into one of two camps. Either you will look at this saying, oh, this is just complete trash, okay? Because it feels I feel very- like that's more, probably my camp. Well, I think lots of people are going to fall into that as a camp. And fair enough, because there's definitely a couple of episodes. There's one particularly, the most egregious one of all. Uh, it's Dev Patel and Catherine Kena who are both telling their stories of coming from different perspectives. Uh, he's supposed to be like an app developer who's developed a Tinder-like app. Oh and she's God. a Jono who's come to report on him. And then she looks into his eyes and realizes that a heartbreak. Oh and that episode God. is just the worst. Sounds like. And the show itself walks a very strong tightrope between, you know, being just offensively just garbage episodes like that and just being kind of a clever approach to selling a half-hour story about love in New York City. Look at this horrible photo they've got of Kathleen Keeter on the Wikipedia page. That is not great. (laughs) (laughs) Poor thing. When you watch the program, I think the way to approach it is watch it as though it's just like a Sunday morning program and Mm -hmm. just watch an episode at a time. Right. You're not going to spend, you know, hours upon hours sitting there watching the show, which admittedly I did. But I don't think (laughs) most people- You're not a normal person. Well, that's true. And I don't think the show is well served by that. Right. I think it's well served by it's Sunday morning, you're sitting there, like you're not going to read a newspaper anymore because it's 2019, but you might pop something on the TV and you've got your coffee in hand, you've got maybe like a baked good of some description, like maybe a croissant. A Danish. A Danish even. Uh, Like maybe like a fruit McMuffin, uh, like a muffin thing. Not necessarily a McMuffin, (laughs) but maybe you've got a McMuffin as well. I'll have a McMuffin for sure, thanks. But it's just really good, non-committal, just it's the background sort of going on. If you get distracted for a few minutes, it's not a problem because it's really quite easy to follow. And just get swept up in the show because I think that there's enough sort of just fun performances taking place in it and just interesting characters to get you through it. Mm. So this is a show of low expectation. Yes. But if you can approach it in the right way, I think people are going to walk away from it just being a bit charmed. Well, that's a nice that's yeah. a nice way to describe it. Yeah. And look, in fact, I think maybe this has been the theme of the last couple of weeks in this podcast. I keep on talking about the idea that shows don't necessarily have to be like groundbreaking TV. Sometimes they just need to be TV. Yes. And in a sense, that's what this show is doing. It's really just giving you a distraction in your day for, you know, 40-odd 40, 40 minutes. 
I think they might be half hour episodes. They just feel like 40 minutes, Chris. <laughs> I was no, say, I not so. the case at all. Like, they feel like it's just a half hour voyage into a person's life. It's exactly kind of what you want from an anthology story. Would you say, Dan, that it's the modern version of our favorite uh, anthology show, The Love Boat? <laughs> you know what? There's probably something to be said for that. Or more so, more so the Love American style, of course, of which The Love Boat was based. Um, it sounds more like that. Yeah, sure. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. I do. In fact, didn't, didn't I say that very thing when we watched The Love Boat together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. What a night. It was a good night, actually. Yeah. But no, I think this is a show, so it's debuting on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, if you've got Amazon Prime Video and you are looking for a way to spend a Sunday morning, this is a good way to do it. Uh, if I think I just signed up by accident while I was Googling really? a minute ago. <laughs> so the windows kept popping up and I was like, oh, God. Whatever. I would say, though, that if you live with someone who's a very cynical person, or mm. if you're a really cynical person yourself... Maybe this isn't necessarily the show to like, voyage into, but like, I think there's definitely something to it. Like, I was charmed in a way that I was concerned I would find it all very off-putting. Yeah, but oh, you, that's good. But I'm going to say you will find some stories off-putting because not all of it necessarily works. And to establish the kind of vibe that it's going for, I think there's such a high-wire act with such a low-stakes show to a certain degree that th- sometimes they're going to fall. Uh, the creative behind it is this dude named John Carney. Yeah, I was just reading. Now, you know who John Carney is? Yeah, a little bit. I was familiar with him a little, so I looked, and yes, it was who I thought it was. Yeah, so uh, people would know him as a filmmaker for making the film Once, which is very much the vibe of Once, which is a very lo-fi story, and it's a romance that develops between a street busker and a woman with like this amazing singing voice as the two of them record a song together. Dublin. It was in Dublin? Yeah. See, I was feeling it was in Dublin, but I thought maybe it was a smaller town mm. than that. It was very low budget. It was exceptionally low budget. 112,000 euros. But yeah, if people remember that film, I think... I do for some reason. I haven't seen it. You should. like it's, But I remember it existing. It is so incredibly low stakes, but at the same time, like I kind of feel like movies sometimes benefit from that. Oh my God, actually... yes. The, the world doesn't have to be ending every episode, every movie. Oh no, it really should. Notes of Marvel... <laughs> people um yeah but also me and scorsese we're on the same page hey look i hear that <laughs> uh if you're a music person like you might know the band the frames so like he was a member of the frames ah uh, yes yeah. i do know the frames that's very interesting and so man. if you think about the sort of music that the frames do which is a very romantic sort of style of indie rock i could see you as a fan of the frames yeah and so, yeah, I kind of feel like Modern Love actually taps into like that vibe quite a bit. They had a great album, I'm trying to... F- so the album that I reckon you'll probably think of is For the Birds. I will write you letters that explain the way I'm thinking now I am. Oh, yes, from the early uh, 2000s, I reckon. Yeah, 2001. Produced by Steve Albini, for my friends out there who know who that is. Yeah, and the uh, vocalist on the Frames albums is Glenn Hansard, who was the star of Once. Get out! Yeah. Oh, that's all very interesting, and it totally explains why I knew what it was all about. Exactly. But anyway, uh, Modern Love, definitely check it great. out. Great. Yeah, it's worthwhile, great cast. Uh, again, low expectation show. I'm a guy with very low expectations about TV and life and just about everything. I also feel that your cynicism might be just like ratcheted up just slightly <laughs> just too high to be able to get past the bar of the show sets. But you also know that I don't like anything that makes me like think about stuff or, you know, have opinions and feelings. No. and Well, you might have feelings on this one. Mm. Yeah. All right. Okay. It definitely tugs at the heartstrings a bit. All right. I'll take it on advisement. We'll see how we go. We'll see if I ever get that bored that I'm going to watch it. <laughs> you, sir, are a jerk. Um, Chris Yates. Fair enough. 
Chris Yates, what have you been watching? Well, Dan, it's not a happy story. I've been watching a television program on the Netflix called Disenchantment Season 2. You ever have a nightmare and at the last second you wake up and everything's okay? Well, this isn't one of those. The entire kingdom got turned to stone. My mom's evil and Buffo died. <laughs> Good times. So, Chris, Disenchantment, this is the, we're going to say new animated series yeah, by Matt Groening. Yeah, call it new. Uh, that's right. It um, follows from the other only Matt Groening shows, um, Futurama and The Simpsons. Sorry, what was that second one? Uh, Simpsons. The Simpsons. Simpsons. The Simpsons. And this is a new show? It's been around for a while. It's still on. Okay. Um, yeah, I haven't yeah, heard of it. Yeah, mm. I'll send you a link. Yeah, thanks. Um, and, yes, there was a lot of hope, I guess, for the disenchantment. There was a lot of uh, people getting quite excited. There was a lot of reasons for Australians to be excited because we had an amazing um, writer-slash-musician. Briggs was pulled on board as one of the writers as by Matt Groening personally, which, you know, was something else to be excited about. It stars Eric Andre. Uh, some of the writers as well of this are like former Futurama. Yeah, there's some really good writers on board. Uh, David X. Cohen, the creator of Futurama, he did a few episodes. Like, what's going on with it? Why, what's, what, the, what the hell's the deal with this show? It's yeah. not good. So the thing that I actually like about the program is that it approaches animation from a different perspective than we've seen Matt Groening give a show before which is that they've embraced the Netflix people the consider and binge it all. Yeah, yeah. And episode by episode, like you can watch an episode as a full-ish story. Sort of. But it very much has a to-be-continued and just rolls into the next episode. Yeah. So you are watching a four-and-a-half-hour film each week. But thinking about the writers involved in this and thinking about the latter-day Futurama, so once that show had been cancelled and came back as a series of movies and then a TV oh, show yeah. again... It never had the narrative in Futurama to make it to a movie-length storyline. No, it didn't. So not. the idea of four and a half hours of a disenchantment season, yeah, rough. it's tough going. And I, I, I sort of, I made it through the first season, and I was like, yeah, that was pretty good. I didn't hate it. There was a few laughs. There was some cool characters. It was okay. And I'm like three episodes into this new one. I had to watch the first one twice because it was just like kind of just went past me and I was like, what even, what do I care? So if people haven't seen Disenchantment, what's the general setup for it? Okay, so there's a, a princess and she lives in a castle and she has a little elf friend and she also has a friend who's a demon and they get on the booze a lot. See, but just describing it, it's going to sound a lot better than it is. Yeah, and also and it I guess sounds that's like Futurama. Too. Yeah, that's right. Well, it did cop a lot of that at first. I didn't see that straight up, and I was never a mass. I mean, I really, really liked the first four seasons of Futurama, but I never kind of was able to... I didn't like when Futurama got too serious, and I didn't like when they um, made me cry, which they did a few times. Man, that dog. That poor dog. He's still sitting there, you know. Oh, God. Um, Chris, we're going to have to pause the podcast for a moment. <laughs> and I was just like, you shouldn't have mentioned the dog. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, like I never, it, it was all just a bit too much for me, really, when it, when it started doing that kind of thing. And it was not why I was watching that show or why I watch anything, which is probably personal to a degree. Um, I wasn't, I was expecting, I guess, some more of that coming in. There's been a lot of like, I, I guess maybe I'm missing a lot of references and stuff because I don't really get into, you know, dragon shows and Lord of the Rings and Game of Thrones and all that stuff that people like so maybe I'm missing some in-jokes and that's probably Look, I don't my think, own fault but. I don't think you are though so if you think about Futurama as a very good sort of template for the idea of a high concept animated show yes Futurama there's definitely a lot of jokes about say Soylent and yeah there's sci-fi like jokes that. and stuff there's sci-fi jokes but you don't need to know those references particularly that well in order to be able to watch Futurama no I guess not and like they're not like that really sort of deep cuts either like they're pretty surface level yeah, jokes yeah, yeah. with some very sort of deep cuts that are always off the 
the side that you just don't need to be across. Yeah. Disenchanted is pretty much the same, but, you know, the jokes just aren't really there for No, that. I guess, and I guess that's the main thing. Like, I could totally, I really like the idea of a longer narrative and something to get my teeth stuck into, but it's kind of like, there's nothing com- that compelling about the sort of overarching story as it is anyway. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's going to get a lot better as it pipes, as it goes through the end, but from things that I've read, um, people who didn't get... I've read a few things with people who persevered through the whole thing after not really enjoying the, the first couple, and they didn't seem to think it got much better. So it's a weird one. It's a kind of a very – it's very disappointing on heaps of levels. Like, we was really sort of hoping for um, – you know, it's it's obviously rare that we get a new show um, out of that. I'm not, it's not even the same universe, but with that Matt Groening, it's not even really his style. But that's that, that, that style that he, he has become famous for, um, that a lot of great artists adapting his work – Created yeah, in the you, Simpsons. If you like the Simpsons style, yeah, 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 like from an aesthetic standpoint, yeah, 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 um, which I do because I'm not a monster. Um, yeah, so, it's, it is interesting that you sort of say that it's not even his style because you think about it. It's, oh, it's like really. a macroening visual style. I mean, his artwork is so scrappy looking. Yeah, yeah, it's like, it's it was, been refined and polished dramatically. Yes, by a lot of people that aren't him. Um, yeah. and now, like, I mean, he's still—I don't think to this day can actually draw the characters as they appear now very no. well. <laughs> like, whenever you see a freehand one, they're pretty bad. Um, so no, yeah, kind of charming. Like, oh yeah, yeah, I don't. I actually like. I don't want to sort of shit on Matt Groening here because no, no. I think and he's a fun cartoonist whose heart's in the right place with it all. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. I really like his early cartoons, and I really like. Uh, and and you know, uh, one thing I learned from watching you know the uh, director's commentaries etc on The Simpsons was that I, I do think he was a lot more involved than he seemed to be very involved across the whole the whole run. It still is. Yeah, a lot more involved than I ever thought. Yeah, me too. And and I think, um, you know, he was definitely the one steering it in the right direction on some occasions when other people were kind of taking it off in other ways. But I think he's also hampered it in some some ways as well. But yeah, um, it's it's definitely not like a, a Matt Crating is an idiot <laughs> because obviously he's not. But yes, the style has definitely been adopted over the years. Um, Can I well, ask you a question? Yeah. Disenchantment, let's say it runs like another two or three seasons. Do you think it will? Let's say that it does. Okay. Okay. Well, let's just say that it finishes at the end of this year for yeah. the purposes of the like the story that I want to really craft here. Great. Or the question I want to come to. Mm-hmm. A year or two passes. There's an announcement that, oh, Matt Groening's got another show that he's created. Would you watch it? Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And will forever, probably. <laughs> but um, I'm st- I still watch The Simpsons, for God's sake. That's a good point. Um, but, you know, I, having said that, I haven't revisited Futurama in a long time, and I don't know if I ever will go back there. So Futurama like holds up for the lot. first few seasons. Yeah. I think yeah. I, just, I watched the hell out of it um, on those DVDs from JB Hi-Fi. Um, so, yeah, it's sort of like a... Yes, of course, I'll still be at that thing. But I don't know whether I'll go back for more of this, to be honest. Yikes. I love Eric Andre, too. It's just such a shame. Yeah, there's so much about this that I wanted to really love it. Yeah. It just never gelled for me, either. No. So, anyway, that's it. I'm sure you've watched it by now if you're interested anyway. But please feel free to jump on our um, online forums and tell me I'm wrong. Yeah. And you know what? I do actually know there is an audience for it. I know some people that generally quite like the program. Yeah. But, yeah, like, Mm. I don't know. Mm. I'm probably... I don't want to sound more discerning. Because that's not really that's not really quite what I'm say, but I think that what I'm looking for is really quite different to yes. what other people are after from their animation, and some people just want. I was talking about Modern Love a few moments ago, yeah, yeah. and talking up the fact that it's so low stakes that yeah. you know it can be just an, an enjoyable bit of wallpaper. I kind of feel that people come to shows like Disenchantment in the same way. Well, certainly, yeah, yeah. That's how I generally get to my. Cartoons. Is it Disenchanted or Disenchantment? M- meant Disenchantment. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. 
<laughs> yeah, this is this is the impact it's had on us culturally. Um, well, all the kids are talking about it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, disenchantment. Did I say it right at the start? I'm pretty sure I did. Who knows? And it's fine. Okay. That's for the Everyone knows what, that's, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Everyone knows what we're talking about. So, anyway, disenchantment, I give it zero stars. No, not at all. It's, it's that's like, unfair. No, no. It's, it's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Anyway, that aside, it leads me to another question for you, Dan. Yes, sir. What have you been watching? Look, earlier I was talking about Modern Love. Mm-hmm. Okay, I remember. I just want to establish here with Modern Love, because it's something I didn't do initially, and this is heading towards my next thing. So, right, yeah. Okay. Okay. So, Modern Love Anthology Series. Yes. And I never really sort of talked about what some of the stories were. No, I wasn't that interested either. But, okay, but, but please just, go just hold tight. There's people listening who might... There's person <laughs> listening who might be a bit more interested. So, the first episode is a story about a woman who... All of her dates are ruined by this doorman who pays way too much attention to her and her life. And this doorman is a um, European guy who kind of just knows how everything in the world works. And he's just always right about everything. Oh, right. And he's only interested in her security and safety in the world. So it's kind of like a fatherly love for a daughter in a certain sense. Uh, but then she finds out she's pregnant. And so there's, you know, a maternal love that she's got that, you know, it gets quashed. So you've got that sort of a story happening. Episode two, uh, you've got, and this is that terrible thing with Dev Patel and Catherine Keener. Yeah, yeah. It's, a dap, it's an app thing. And like, that's easily the worst episode. Uh, then you've got episode three, which is Anne Hathaway dealing with, uh, she's got a serious sort of bipolar disorder. And she's like struggling with a dating life as well as a work life and how her you know, disorder is getting in the way of both things. And so the love there is both the love that she's chasing in terms of relationship as well as the uh, love that one sort of co-worker has as they're sort of building a friendship up with somebody. Mm-hmm. So it's working on relationships in a different way. So I could watch those three episodes and get a real sort of strong feeling for what the show was and whether I wanted to stick with it. So when I come to the next TV show I want to talk about, which is another anthology show, and I say that I've only watched the first two stories in this, and that was more than enough for me, I want to just maybe use Modern Love as the grounding whereby after two to three stories, you get an idea for what the feel of the show is, and the show's not going to change that much from what that is. So an anthology means there's always going to be different stories. So you know that going into it, there's always going to be different stories coming. But if you haven't enjoyed the first bunch of stories, you're probably not going to enjoy the rest of them. No. And that brings me to the new horror anthology, Creep Show. Who are you? You know it's okay to be scared, right? Chris Yates, how familiar are you with Creep Show as it was a series of movies in the, I'm going to say, early 80s? I'm very familiar with seeing the covers on the shelf at the video store. Yeah, the VHS covers. Uh, the VHS covers. Um, and I must have watched them a few times. I remember, was there one that was directed by... Because they had different directors for each story. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I remember there was one that was about a big, like a, an oil slick on the water that um, ate people. Does that sound familiar to you? Look, that's possible. So there's Creepshow <laughs> and there's Creepshow 2. And I know that one of those two I've seen a lot, and I thought I'd seen both of them, but apparently I hadn't, last time I went to watch Creepshow. The only one that I really remember is, I think it was Howbrook was the star of it, and he was a dude of whom was concerned about cleanliness or something in his apartment, and there was a cockroach that he kept on seeing, and he's chasing this cockroach around his apartment. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the very end of it has him being swarmed by, like, thousands of cockroaches all covered his body and going into him. Oh, they're very short. So, can I just do a little bit of this? So, the first movie, Creepshow, uh, was five short stories, mm. um, one of which focused on a husband, Leslie Nielsen, with a creative way of getting back at his cheating wife. 
um, which just sounds absolutely compelling. Now, I want to say it was Romero who directs it all of the installments. Is that right, or did he just do... So, the first one, yes, it says Romero directed them, and Stephen King wrote the screenplay and the stories, which is very interesting. Yeah. Now, essentially, the visual sort of idea of Creepshow is that... Ted Danson's in it, too. Which one? Sorry, The originals? Yeah, the original one. Yeah. Holy cow. We've got to watch that. What are you doing tonight? Uh, not much. I guess watching Creepshow. Um, E.G. Marshall was the actor in a cockroach episode, I think. Oh, this is, it's very, it looks very good. I, I think we should just talk about Creepshow. Look, um, well, we can talk about the TV show Creepshow, which you'll be less enthused by. <laughs> okay. Okay, so go, the first, go for it, go the for first it. Creepshow movie is the one that I've seen. And Ed then Harris? Creepshow 2. Oh okay. my God, Chris, sorry, sorry. Calm down. Can I just read a few more? No, no, you can, you can do that in your own time. Um, Ted Danson, okay. Richard Gere, and Leslie Nielsen in the same one. Something to tide you over. Chris. Hal Holbrook. Here's the problem, Chris. You're getting excited about Creepshow the movie. Right. Leslie. And it's that sort of enthusiasm that I brought to Creepshow the TV series anthology. Unfortunately, there is very little to really oh get enthused by. So the aesthetic of the movies is that it's visually based very much on the 1950s horror books. So EC Comics had like, I think House of Mystery and a bunch of other like horror books around at the time. So you got these books that existed and then they sort of thought, well, you know, we'll create a movie that sort of looks like a comic book. So every time that there's one of these sort of short stories in the films, it sort of flips between some comic books and brings that to life. So when it comes to the TV show, they've done effectively the same thing where instead of I think it was five stories for each of the films. It's like two stories in the 40-odd minute episode. Sure. So you're watching this, and it opens up with a very slowly paced, and it must be aping the visual aesthetic of the movies, because I haven't seen those for years. Yeah. And it's probably a lot slower than I remember it being. But it's like this very sort of slow pan across each panel in like a comic book as it's creating the scene for what's happening, and then it goes into one of the panels and the story opens up. Right. The problem is, is that in 1982, we'll say that the first film came out, mm-hmm. it was thereabouts. The comic, the horror comics of the 50s going to the 60s were still culturally relevant to a certain degree. Yes. Whereas, like, there's no nostalgia for these books now where it came out 50 years ago. No. 70 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. De- like, definitely it's not. It's not really quite there. So, yes, I understand this is a TV show adaptation of these movies and that the people coming to this TV show probably have some reasonable familiarity with those movies. Even so, it still felt a little bit stale. So I was watching this from the opening seconds of it thinking, this feels really creaky. And then the actual episodes itself felt like, remember in the 90s where you'd be up a little bit late at night and there'd be these anthologies coming through from overseas, like Freddy's Nightmares. Absolutely. You know, that kind of quality. Henry Rollins did one for a while. Entirely possible. Yeah, he did. Uh, there was like an Outer Limits revamp. There was there was a lot for a while there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And like they were always just like a little bit low quality and the acting wasn't really particularly great and the filmmaking wasn't really quite there for it either. Production quality wasn't, you know, ideally what you'd want. I kind of feel I've like emulated that completely for this show. And in 2019, where you got so many viewing options available to you. I don't know why people are watching past the first episode of this. Yeah, right. It's two stories, both really disappointing. The first one was this story that I kind of feel I've seen a whole bunch of times, and maybe it's a remake from something from one of the original Creepshow films. I'm not too sure. But it's about this boy who is like, it's a southern boy. Uh, he's dealing with his father, who it's just the two of them living in a house after their mother had died. And the father has been taken over by some sort of um, spiritual thing where he's uh, like cocooning himself and starting to eat people. And so the son has to keep on going to find, you know victims for the father to be able to feast on like i was struggling to even find enthusiasm to get through that like it just 
it just wasn't really there. The second story was a little bit more engaging, which was this girl's being purchased a dollhouse by her parents. And it's supposed to be a modern girl, but it's a very old-fashioned dollhouse. And it's like a real lavish, like gorgeous-looking dollhouse. But she sees that. Did you like, want that dollhouse for yourself? A little you bit. There was, it was definitely some, you know, yearning on my end. <laughs> but in one of the rooms, she notices like this horror head just like sitting there on a bed, and she's looking at a guy. That's a bit creepy. Like she's a little girl. Yeah. Uh, she sees that, thinks it's a bit creepy, and then comes back and then finds that like that head is going around like brutally killing, well, like trying to mutilate the like family that's living in his house in the dollhouse. But it wasn't twenty five minutes worth of fun conceit. Jeez, it was rough. And I kept on thinking back to one of the earlier podcasts we did was talking about the Netflix animated anthology uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Yes. And remember that? It was like these really short sort of between two minutes to like eight, ten yeah, yeah. things. Like, I think I'd be a bit more into Creep Show if they were just like shorter form things that were playing around with the style and formats a little bit more. But it just kind of felt so old fashioned and just creaky and just lacking in any sort of uh, modern aesthetic sort of approach to filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate this is very much a throwback to something that existed as a feature film 30 years ago. But even so, I still think that you need to reshape the way that you're working as a filmmaker. Yeah, even, yeah. Even when you are giving these nods to the original run. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so I compare this maybe to Modern Love, which Modern Love very much wears its emotions on its sleeves. It is also a throwback to a whole bunch of movies and TV shows and a general aesthetic that we're very familiar with. Yes. Even if it isn't a specific text like Creepshow is. But that show, it kind of knows what it is and just sort of speaks to the strength of that. Whereas this show, I think, wants to be something very specifically and is working against itself in order to achieve that. Interesting. Anyway, Chris Yates, Creep Show, much like your disappointment with the animated show. <laughs> yes. Anyway, uh, anyway, it yeah. is what it is. But Chris, tell me, what have you been watching? Well, since you did two anthology-style shows, I'm going to do two animated shows. Mm. Um, the second one I'm going to do is also a Netflix show, also a Netflix show, um, but it is called Big Mouth. Then maybe we should, like, rub fronts. Now, Chris, I feel that most people listening to this know absolutely what Big Mouth's all about at this point. It's just censored season three? Season three of Big Mouth, exactly right. Can I ask just a couple of questions? Yes. Okay, season three, is the show holding up? So season one and two, I believe, are gut-bustingly funny from the fans <laughs> of the show. Yes. Have you not watched any of it? I saw the first... I'm not a big sort of bathroom humour guy. Oh, my God. You're too highbrow for... No, I'm not saying I'm too highbrow for it, but I just don't like find it as funny as other people. And so... And, like, I understand what's funny about a fart joke, but, like, I, it just doesn't really tickle me in the way that I think it needs to for the show. So, it's fine. Like, I don't mind that this show exists in the world. I'm not offended by it. But I just know that I'm not really getting much out of it. Look, fair enough. Um, fair enough. You roll your eyes. You look down dismissively at me. I still think it's very funny. Uh, it, it never really lost its momentum in the, in the second season. Despite coming into it, I was kind of like, wow, this is... Very funny for now, but is this, um, you know, it's kind of a one-note gag, but it's the same... Well, that's so- what I was a bit concerned about. Yeah, but I think when you, if you have a one-note gag and you do it really well, like, for example, another program perhaps you might have heard of called Peep Show, which I may have mentioned before on here once before. A British, Not familiar with British it British sitcom. Um, 
if you have a good enough premise and if you have a good enough one joke, then that joke is enough to definitely carry multiple, multiple years of television. So I really think it's working well. The, one of the things I really enjoyed about it is they're starting to deal with a um, a uh, one of the characters' mums is about to hit menopause, which is very interesting. So the, the menopause witch or something, I can't remember exactly what it is, is now jumping around with all the other hormone monsters. So it's moving away from it just being about the sort of awkward teen changes and other changes that people have to go through um, hormonally in their lives as they grow, which is a really interesting kind of perspective to put on it, I think. Look, it is. And that's the thing that I'm probably most interested in with the show. But when I'm thinking about it, obviously you've only got a certain number of stories. Because how old are they when it starts? Like it's sort of onset of puberty. So yeah, like middle schoolish. Yeah. yeah, so whatever that is. Yeah, so I mean, obviously there's a number of stages that you go through as a teenager, and you know, obviously it's sort of very sort of uh, body issues as well as like societal. It's you know, a horrible that time. That. It's, it's a horrible <laughs> time. We're all still going through it. <laughs> But I'm thinking, like, it started out with them at a very specific age. But if you want to keep the joke alive, you probably need to have the characters age and grow with that. Yeah. Do they do that or do they still sure keep if them? They have, I'm not sure if they have over the first three years. Like, yeah, but you're right. I can't see them going on much further without it happening. And it will be fun to watch it happen, actually, and to watch those characters age a bit. Very rare for cartoons. Of course, it did happen in King of the Hill with um, John Redcorn's son. Oh, no. not Well, yes. John Redcorn's son. Dale Gribble's son. Um, Bobby's best friend uh, who went through puberty in the show. Um, to go from being like a little kid character like Bobby to a slightly creaky, the worst stage of pubescent teenagehood, um, which was an amazing thing for them. One of the many amazing things that that show did. Um, So there's a little bit of a precedent for doing it for sure. And it was interesting that that's around that same era of life as well. Um, But yeah, look, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that stuff ever stops being funny. So I think it can just kind of like... It probably could just keep going forever. Yeah, I just figured there'd probably be areas where it's just can't really mine it anymore in a way that... Yeah, well, they're definitely doing a really good job of that now. It'll be interesting to see if they bring in other kinds of, um, you know, other life changes over the the season as it is now or whether they're just going to kind of stick with this. But uh, it's been so cool watching it. The, uh, one of, I can't remember the character's name, but pr- probably one of the things I've really enjoyed about season three so far is there's been a little bit more um, uh, interest in the um, the gay kid who's going through, you know, trying to, you know, get his head around dating as a gay teenager in this, you know, very, you know, normy kind of school and stuff. And that has been very good. It, in, in the first season, it was a bit of a throwaway character that was just kind of there for laughs. But I think um, watching them in, in investigate that a little bit more is very funny and very interesting um yeah so there's i think there's still a lot, there's still a lot more they can play with with it um and i just think they're doing such a good job of of making it funny and interesting to talk about a lot of things that as a teenager would be mortifying i just hope i hope there's actual teenagers watching it and getting something out of it and not just people my age looking back going oh god thank god that's over yeah, I think it is speaking to both audiences. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's it's, it's trying. Well, I don't, not trying to. I think it successfully is doing that. As long as it's finding those audiences, yeah, it's definitely pitching itself very well at both. I think so. Yes. Um, so while I'm yes down on Disenchantment on Netflix, I'm very big up on Big Mouth on Netflix for yeah. what for what it's worth. Okay, Chris Yates. <laughs> we probably need to get out of here. We've talked about four shows this week. We've talked about Modern Love, which debuts later this week on Amazon Prime Video. Uh, You've also got uh, Disenchantment. 
Disenchanted. Um, Disenchantment, which is which you can't even remember the name of. This is no. how memorable this show is for you. Um, yes, that is available now on the Netflix. The thing is, I actually remember the show really quite well. But yeah, the name. Just not the name. Mm. Um, and that's on Netflix now. That's on Netflix one now. And two. Seasons one and two. Yep. I was talking about Creep Show, which is a new show that's a Shudder original series. So Shudder hasn't officially launched in Australia, which is weird because there was a media release this time last year saying that Shudder is coming very soon to Australia. Hasn't happened. Is it all spooky stuff? Uh, it's a horror film series streaming service. Ooh. But there's a few like weird gems on there. So I found this show called uh, James Cameron's History of Science Fiction. Ooh, and it's him just that talking. That sounds great. Well, it is great. Like it's him talking to a veritable who's who of filmmakers, actors, sci fi writers, uh, tradespeople, people of whom have really helped craft what we know as science fiction TV today. Fantastic. I've only seen the first episode, but in that first episode is James Cameron sitting across from a table from director of Alien, Ridley Scott. And it's the two of them talking about the Alien movies. Mm. And to see the director of Aliens talking to the director of Alien, two of the greatest filmmakers that, you know, the US has ever offered up. Like, just incredible. You can tell a lot about a person by whether they prefer Aliens to Alien. Which are you, Dan? I think you know. (laughs) I do know that you like Aliens better. Uh, Well, Aliens is the superior movie. And you're right about that one for once. No, Alien is pretty good. Alien's pretty good. There's a cool sequence where they show the actor who was playing the xenomorph in Alien. Mm. And, like, just watching, like, this sort of very sort of uh, gangly-looking, like, African-American kid just... Because, like, he's a young guy. Yeah, right. Just, like, getting around. Like, you'd see, like, his body, but with, like, that alien head on as like shooting him. Wow. It's just incredible. Yeah, yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. That sounds like it's worth it just for Shudder. Hurry up, Shudder. Yeah. It's Get a shame that I spent more time watching Creepshow than I did Shudder. <laughs> Does it have the original Creepshow now? I'm interested. Oh, I'm not too sure. I'd actually go looking for them. Mm, I hope but, it yeah. does. Really cool service if you like your horror stuff. But, yeah, like, Creepshow, don't go subscribe to it. <laughs> just Creepshow. And there was one more to mention. Oh, yes, Big Mouth Season 3 now available on your Netflix. Um, It's been a pleasure talking to you again this week, Dan. Likewise. If people enjoy Always Be Watching, the podcast, please leave reviews. Helps people find the show. Uh, Be sure to subscribe to the Always Be Watching newsletter, which you can find at alwaysbewatching.com. Wanted to tell you I've read six of your seven newsletters this week. There was a lot of newsletters this week. (laughs) But I've read them. They were good. A lot of good stuff. Well, one of them was just promoting this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That was my favorite. Yeah. (laughs) Saw your name. (laughs) Anyway, this has been Always Be Watching. Thank you very much, Chris Yates. I'm Dan Barrett. We'll be back next week to talk more about, that's right, what we've been watching. (laughs) 